Welcome to the Sabbath School Rescue Podcast with your host, Buster Swoops and Michael Campbell. This week in preparation for Sabbath, June 10th, we look at Lesson 11, The Seal of God and the Mark of the Beast, Part 1. This week, we'll focus in on the patience of the saints and how it will overcome the beastly power. The Sabbath School Rescue Podcast is hosted by Michael Campbell and Buster Swoops at the Adventist Learning Community. Together, we love learning and have 18 years of pastoral experience, and now we have the privilege to dig deeper into the study. All right, here we are, Lesson 11, and this is the Seal of God and Mark of the Beast, Part 1. Our memory text is coming from Revelation chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, New King James Version. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels and to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. All right. So that, that was a mouthful, but it's also yes. uh, jam-packed of, of wonderful information that should actually console us and actually inspire us with hope uh, and not necessarily a lot of people read that and might see fear. Uh, but there's no reason to fear because if we are servants of God, we will be sealed. You know, this is, and, and this is actually um, a very hope filled passage because the seal of the living God, I mean, who does the sealing? It's God through the Holy spirit, of course. Right. But uh, I, you know, I was actually talking to a friend this past week, you know, who has been kind of asking about this, like the seal of God. This means that Adventists have to basically earn their own salvation and works and everything else. And and actually, um, it's all a matter of perspective. If if you see the Sabbath and all these other things in a non-relational kind of way, that everything is legalistic or works oriented, it could be kind of scary, Buster. Right. Uh, if you see it with Christ at the center of this, that Christ is the one. Um, actually, it's it's very hopeful, and I'm I'm excited about this lesson. Yeah, you know, I I, I love that Michael making sure that we view through the prism of Christ, and so mm-hmm. that leads us to Sunday's lesson with steadfast endurance, because as we look at Christ, He gives us that hupo minnow, that endurance in order to to make it through. Well, speaking of endurance, Revelation fourteen twelve, this is this is kind of cool here. Uh, it says this calls, and I'm reading from the NIV. This calls for patient endurance. Amen. On the part of the people of God who keep his commands and the, remain faithful to Jesus. So I, I like this, the, the the patient endurance, or there's a variety of different translations of that, but the uh, the patience of the saints, to use the King James, right? And, and actually, by the way, I think this really describes God's people at the end of time. I'm actually working on a book with um, a friend of mine, Ed Allen. We're Ooh. describing uh, the history of Adventism and stuff like that. And we decided to call that, that's our, our, our title, is the, the patience of the saints. You know, it's this idea that this describes God's people at the very end of time who are waiting for Jesus. And and so, yeah, there is a patient endurance. We're waiting. Um, God doesn't call us to, he, he calls us to be faithful and to wait and be patient, which is hard to do sometimes. We want to do something and focus, you know, if I could only make myself perfect enough. And then Christ will come, you know, like the ancient Jews. And that's not what the Bible says. It just says patient endurance. And and by the way, we do have a mission. We know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to proclaim the gospel. But uh, that's why this matters. That's why this makes uh, a huge amount of difference. And there's a couple other passages that kind of go along with with uh, Sunday's lesson and, and talking about how uh, we live by faith. So Romans 8, Ephesians 2, Colossians 1, 
uh, read those passages as you have time this week. I'm just going to refer briefly to Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 4, and I think it's just so poignant. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ mm. Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And for what the law is powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and he condemns sin in the flesh in order, now catch this, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So uh, this new life, this life according to the spirit, um, God doesn't do away with the law and all these other things, but but ultimately, what do they point to? To what purpose, right? And and that's really what's going on. And we live by faith. We don't do it so we earn God's grace. It's because of God's grace living in and through us that the response is, hey, this is amazing. I want to follow Jesus and all the things that I do. They are out of heart of, of, of deep love and gratitude in surrender to Jesus Christ. Oh, I love that, Michael. Which leads us to this uh, surrender. That means there's, there's a struggle, a cosmic struggle. So tell us about that, Buster. You know, uh, it's uh, probably a little bit, I wouldn't say misleading, but the cosmic struggle <laughs> of talking about basically the, the struggle of Christ and how the faith of Jesus actually ties into us uh, because we struggle each and every day as well. But knowing how and why our Savior struggled actually gives us the ability to endure. And that's why it's entitled that. And so as we look here at Matthew 20, uh, Matthew 27, verses 45 through 50, it says, Now the sixth hour uh, until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabatani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now I was going to ask a question here in a second dealing with that. So I want our audience to think about those words for just a moment. But it goes on in verse 47, some of those who stood there, when they heard it, they said that this man is Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran up and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered him to drink. Then he said, let him, they said, uh, the rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come uh, and save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice uh, and yielded up his spirit. So the question is, uh, it says, why did, well, what did Jesus mean by asking my God, uh, why have you forsaken me? And how does this scene help us to understand what it means to have the faith of Jesus? And I love this aspect of reading the desire of ages. I think it's chapter 78, which is Calvary. And yeah. it asked the question, um, what basically, what was the faith of Jesus based off of? And it wasn't based off of feeling because he didn't feel the father. He didn't, he didn't see him or, or experience him in that moment, but what his faith was based off of was the relationship and knowing, right? And so even though he said, my God, my God, where have you forsaken me? It was an acknowledgement of feeling the disconnect from the father and as a result of the weight of the world, uh, the weight of the sins of the world being placed upon him. And that's why he cried out with that. And I think it's, a, it's apparent to us is that when we're going through what we're going through, uh, we should also recognize that our faith should not be based on our on our feelings because our feelings will lie to us, but it should be based on our relationship with God and knowing uh, and knowing and and feeling are two different things. It doesn't mean that feelings are wrong, but we can't base our relationship on our faith based on our feelings. It has to be based on our knowing and knowing who we know. And that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
So, Michael, that leads us to Tuesday's lesson, the ungodly chain. Okay. Well, this, again, sounds a little bit scary because it's talking about the end time events and and kind of uh, how all of this kind of breaks down, right? And so the passage that is referenced is Revelation 13 and asks this question, what will God's end time people face in the final crisis, right? And so verses 15 to 17 talk about this, the, the image of the beast, right? And, and it says that they will cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. So there's a, a test of uh, loyalty, I think that's the best way to put it. It's a test of loyalty at the very end. This is a, you know, eschatological end time, you know, at the at the very end of time, whose allegiance will you have, right? And and that allegiance is either for Christ or Satan. And so um again, you know, the this image um of the beast and and you know, the the mark that is on their foreheads, the mark of the beast is what all lots of people are afraid of, but but it's just simply um, a test of loyalty. And, and we frame that as we understand it, you know, with the Sabbath, right? The, and, and so um, some people have asked the question, well, does that mean that the end times Adventists are saved by keeping the Sabbath? Well, absolutely not. Uh, we keep it not because we have to keep it or because if you don't, then you're suddenly going to get cotton on the wrong side and have the mark of the beast. We do it because it's a sense of loyalty. It's like a it's like a marriage relationship, right? I I have I well I, I choose to not everybody does, but I choose to uh, to wear like a, a wedding ring, right? But right. this sign of loyalty is only as good as as what I make of that sign, you know. So I can wear this, but if I go home and and bring my wife flowers and like you know, I guess I have to bring her flowers again, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, we're not going to have a good marriage, you know. Oh my goodness! This is this is uh, you know I get slapped silly because you know what kind of what kind of marriage is that that you know um, you can you can still have the sign but if there's no relationship that's there all those other things including the flowers and everything else are just really meaningless and I think that's true with the Sabbath that there's got to be a relational understanding that the Sabbath represents the character of God a God of love and compassion and doesn't force us to follow Him and all the accusations that Lucifer or Satan made against him and his kingdom and his is the uh the the righteous the the uh the government of god i guess is the phrase i was trying to think of you know satan is accusing and saying god is not a just god he's not who he says he is and and um god's people at a time they, they can see through and and see um the difference between the true and the false and they say you know my allegiance you can't get me to change my allegiance to god and the sabbath is just an outward symbol or sign of that that's the seal of god uh, through the Holy Spirit, um, through God's people are recognized by this contrast. So it's actually quite, quite amazing. And, and one doesn't have to be fearful of that if you know and love Jesus. And that's the beauty um, of making Adventist theology, as I like to say, is at its best when it's centered in Jesus Christ. So Amen. I'm going to Wednesday's lesson. Um, you know, we've talked about this contrast, but then we have those who follow the Lamb. You know, Michael is uh, paired with uh, this uh, Revelation 13, one through two is asking, where does the beast come from and who gives the beast uh, its authority? Well, those uh, spoiler alert, it's the enemy, right? <laughs> uh, but we also see that this beast, uh, as I was reading here and pulling up Revelation 13, one through three, because it's, uh, it's important that we uh, understand the background of why it's asking these things. 
So once again, it's Revelation chapter 13. Uh, Read this, Michael. It says, And I stood on the sand of the sea and saw the beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and his horns, uh, and on his horns, ten crowns, and on his heads, a blasphemous name. And now the beast, which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like that of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. And so we see here, Michael uh, recognizing where does the beast come from? Uh, well, came from uh, raise, rising out of the sea, out of amongst of the people and who gave the beast his authority. Well, the dragon gave him its authority. And as a result of that, we see here Rome receiving power, papal Rome receiving its power from the dragon, but also we recognize here it's asking us to contrast Revelation 13, 3, which I just read with Revelation 14, verse 4. These are the ones who are not defiled with women, talking about the 144,000 here. They are virgins. These are the ones who uh, follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits uh, uh, to God and to the lamb. Uh, and so Putting all this together, Michael, uh, making a correlation, we see a contrast here between the beast uh, and his power and the practice of those who actually follow the lamb wherever he goes. And mm. one, one of the biggest markers that uh, one of the biggest, I guess, say markers you can see there is an all the world marveled and followed the beast. Uh, and so those who were enamored by this power that this beast had uh see them following after it, but then those who had the patience are the ones who are following Christ wherever he goes. And we can see it today, Michael, uh, those who are clamoring after power, money, riches, who are clamoring after prestige, whatever it might be, and those who in humility are following after the meek and lowly Christ. Uh, I shared this even in the Christian church. A lot of times we love to look for the kingly Jesus but not a lot want to actually follow the priestly Jesus and the priestly Jesus came to be a servant and to give his life a ransom for many. And, Mm -hmm. but we want to see the messianic Christ come through the clouds of glory with a sword to slay those who have wronged us. And Mm -hmm. that only comes at the very, very end. In the meantime, he's called us to follow after his priestly role, uh, the priesthood of all believers, which is, they are to serve and to not to be served. And I think that's a high calling for us, recognizing that the beast is saying, if you come and follow and bow down to me, I will multiply you. I'll do all sorts of things. We see that in Matthew 4 as well as Luke 4 uh, in the temptations of Christ. And so prayerfully, we will wow. stay strong and follow the lamb wherever he goes. So Michael, uh, finish this off here with Thursday's lesson, Jesus, our only mediator. I love this because we're just coming back to Christ at the center of all of this. And and it starts out with this uh, question in Revelation 13, verses 4 and 5. Uh, what are the identifying marks of, of this beast power, right? So, right. Um, and in verse 4, it says, people worship the dragon. So first thing I want to mention is the key contrast is this is an issue of worship. It's an issue of loyalty, right? I mean, who you worship is who you're loyal to, right? Right. Um, and so 
Um, and then those that follow the dragon or the beast, right? It explains. It says um, they ask who's like the beast, who can wage war against it. So it's a it's an issue not only of loyalty but but also power and control, right? And verse five, it says the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for forty two months. So forty two months, thirty times twelve, that's twelve hundred and sixty. That number is kind of familiar in Bible prophecy. We've run across <laughs> yes, this is. before, right? <laughs> so. Uh, this is part of explaining, you know, so that there can be a clear demarcation, a clear identification. And we traditionally and, and Protestants have traditionally understood this as, you know, the the the, the beast that has uh, that 1260 days going back from the end of the Roman Empire. You know, 538 is usually what's kind of um, that we use that date. Right. And, and then 12, 1260 fast forward up to 1798, the deadly wound. Uh, there's a deadly wound to the beast. Right. And. And what's going on during that time? Well, that's the that's the primacy of the Roman Catholic Church. And and I've a number of friends that are Catholic, so this is not a criticism of of my friends who are, are Roman Catholic or anything like that. But it does represent a system or a way of viewing things. And 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 you know, talking to my Catholic brothers and sisters, that that part of what they view as valuable is both both scripture, but also equally valid is that of tradition. And so we look at on what authority or what basis was the Sabbath changed? Well, on the basis of the authority of the church or the pope and that of church tradition, right? Not yes. on not on the Sabbath. And that's 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 pretty clear. That's in their, you know, various uh, Roman Catholic uh, catechisms and stuff like that. So this is not a secret or anything. Yeah. And so what we're talking about is a system or way of understanding the Bible and the way of viewing um, viewing all of these things in, in a very broad kind of historical sense. And so what we're looking at is this 1260 days. That's the height of the papal supremacy and the, who claims to change the Sabbath? Well, that is the, the Catholic Roman Catholic system. And so we uh, recognize that. And so in contrast, you have the authority of human beings who seek to change the Sabbath versus the authority of God who says, no, the Sabbath isn't changed and my law will stand even to the very end. And, and God's people will be noted for keeping the Sabbath, not because again, they have to, but because out of a sense of worship and loyalty, there'll be two contrasting systems of worship, two contrasting loyalties at the very end. And Jesus, Jesus must be at the center of this. And uh, he is our only mediator. And so those who are loyal to God, uh, we can see we have this opportunity, this privilege to to worship God. And so if we do that, Jesus is our only mediator. He's the only authority upon which we live and choose to live our Christian life. And uh, that's that's a beautiful thing to remember. And it's God's people at the end of time. The closer and closer they get to the end, um, the yes. more and more they have to be surrendered to Jesus. Because Amen. it's only Jesus that will take them through to the very end. So we need that mediator, not less as we get to the end, but more. Amen. We need Jesus more. Uh, and so we just continue to depend on him as our only mediator. Mediator, And when we get that, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful description for us of how the end will occur. And the best part of all is when Jesus comes. Amen. And, and you know, Michael, I, I love how you shared that because as he is our only mediator, as he fills our lives, we may be the Christ that others are looking for. And not, not, not that we could ever take the place of Christ, but when they see the characteristics of Christ in us, it causes the world to want a relationship with him. And we can then turn and say, 
It's not me, but he who dwells within me, right? That is causing this, that is causing the overflow of abundance of the fruits of the spirit to come out. It is the relationship that I have. And so that's why it's so important for us to actually grab a hold of our mediator and never let go. Absolutely. Well, I think we've covered this pretty thoroughly for, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's amazing how we're just going through this. We're almost to the end of another quarter. Uh, but until next time, we just uh, thanks for joining us. And we just urge you to study for yourselves. Don't take out our word for it, but go into scripture, read these texts. And uh, we pray that that God will lead and guide in your experience to have a Christ centered perspective of of the end. So mm-hmm. until next time, until next time, this is uh, Sue and Swoops. Signing out. out. As we wrap up, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Adventist Learning Community, a ministry of the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists. You can join us each week by subscribing on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Also, make sure you share with as many people as possible. And be sure to give us feedback by rating our podcast and go to our website, SabbathSchoolRescue.org, for each weekly episode.